let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. Fear. Are we supposed to fear? Well, yes, there's, there's one we are to fear. He is the creator and the sustainer of all that there is. He is the one that we are to fear with honor, respect, and worship. The word fear there is not referring to being afraid of obstacles of life. You might have a different word in your translation. The word beware is also applicable there. Beware. Watch out. Make sure. Stand up. Take account. Where are you going? Are you at the border of rest? Or are you wandering in desert? The writer of Hebrews wants to make sure that we are awakened. Rather than, rather we are to fear God and keep his commands in faith in spite of the numerous objections and obstacles that seem to crowd in our lives. Notice again it says, a promise remains of entering his rest. And a grave danger looms for those who half-heartedly reach for it or even neglect it. There are three types of rest that are mentioned in the scriptures. The first rest is an eternal rest. We call that heaven. It is the availability of knowing that in Christ and Christ alone, we have been saved. And we have received God's gift of eternal life. It's eternal rest. It's something that will not be interrupted by any obstacles of earth because we're in glory with God. Another rest is physical rest. Physical rest is a nap. You want a short word? It's a nap. Children don't like them. I didn't like them when I was younger. But I relish them now. As many of you, I'm sure. It's a time of just physically taking a deep breath and exuding it out. Bringing ourselves to a place of renewed strength and perspective of earth. Then there's spiritual rest. Now, spiritual rest coincides with everlasting rest, but it is just a little bit different because spiritual rest is what we can obtain here and now on the earth. It's the peace that passes all understanding that guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It's the peace knowing that, yes, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but it's Christ who lives in me. 
is a kind of peace that is afforded to the fact that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ as well as the peace of God. It's a spiritual rest whereby even if our society is in a darkest moment, we know that we're not yet home. And what awaits us gives us rest. And so when we read those 11 verses, that word rest was continually brought forth time and time again. So what is the author referring to? I believe what the author is referring to is a spiritual rest that we can experience here and now. And in fact, he gives us three guideposts for that. You'll notice that in in verse 2, it says, For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them. What is the guide? God doesn't give us a warning without having guideposts along the way. Flashing, if you will, lights. Bridges out. You want to pay attention to a sign like that. Merging traffic. Well, no one pays attention to that. But anyway, it's, it's something to warn us of what is ahead. And God has declared to give us rest, but he gives to us. How can we attain that here and now? The first one. The first one we find in verses 2 and 3, where it says, Entering God's rest takes the right formula. Entering God's rest takes the right formula. Now, I don't want you to get the wrong idea here. The Christian life is never three steps to success. It's never five proofs. It's a continual race. But at the same time, it is also exciting, dynamic relationship with our living God. However, in verses 2 and 3, we find a very simple equation for entering into the rest God has for us. Mark this down. It is hearing plus believing equals resting. That's the right formula. It's hearing plus believing equals resting. Did you catch as the author of Hebrews tells us that we heard the same good news. They heard the same good news One was mixed with faith, the other one was not. The one mixed with faith, we rejoice in the resting that we have in God our Savior. The one that was not mixed with faith, they wandered for the next 40 years of despair. It's a formula. The writer of Hebrews is saying this. You can hear 
a good message sermon. Not like this morning, by the way. You can hear a good sermon, but it gets you nowhere if you're not willing to believe what God had to say. In fact, can I, can I give you an easy definition of what faith is? Faith, as one individual comments, is this living as if what God said is true. It's living, if you will, as if what God said is true. Had these individuals truly believed, they would have acted with confidence. And similarly, Christians having been called from their own spiritual Egypt and slavery to sin, we too can find ourselves wandering in the wilderness because we fail to trust God to deliver us and take us all the way to the place of rest that established for us before the foundation of the world. If we ignore this formula, there will be no rest, only wandering. We must realize the principle of faith undergirds everything God does in the lives of his people. Habakkuk, Galatians, Romans, repeat it well when they say the just shall live by faith. Faith is the key. Failure to respond to God's word by faith and failing to obey his commands by faith will result in his discipline rather than his blessing. The first guidance that God gives us entering his rest takes the right formula. In verses 4 to 6 is the second one. It is this. Entering God's rest takes the right attitude. Entering God's rest takes the right attitude. Verse 3 ends with an interesting statement that requires some explanation, if you will. Notice what it says. The end of verse 3. Although the works were finished from the foundation of the world... The author of Hebrews takes us back to the creation account of Genesis. When in chapter 2, it said God rested on the seventh day from all his works. We need to go back and take a look at that. Turn back with me to Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. We're not going to read that, but I'm going to point out to you Something that I was able to uncover, not in any pride of myself, but the Holy Spirit enlightened my eyes to see this. Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. <coughs> Excuse me. In Genesis chapter 1, it is recorded for us the six days of creation. 
But what's interesting is each one of the days of creation ends with the exact same phrase. Let me just point out something to you here. Notice, if you will, in verse 5. It says, so the evening and the morning were the first day. Go down to verse 8. So the evening and the morning were the second day. For six days, that phrase is used. Now go to chapter 2 of Genesis. Let me read for you the verse three verses. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the hosts of them were finished. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. There's something missing. There's no evening and morning, seventh day. Which means that God's rest never ended. It never ended. Now, God did not rest because he was tired. He rested because everything that he had created was just the way he wanted it. And what's amazing about the seventh day of rest is it is also an invitation that has not stopped. And by the way, God hasn't stopped working, amen? He still controls all that there is. It's not the work we're focusing on, it's the rest that's available that hasn't stopped. It's almost like God is seated on his throne, which I am so glad he is, and he has flung open the doors of glory, and he's with open arms saying, Come, come get your rest. Now, what's even more dynamic is that in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus captured it when he said, Come unto me, all ye that are burdened and heavy laden, and I'll give you what, everybody? Rest. Rest. It is a spiritual rest. That every day of our lives, we have to have the attitude of whether I will accept it or not. When you got up this morning, I'm sure all of you took your Bibles and maybe your daily breads and, and began to read. We, we call it devotions. You know what I like to call it? Getting close to God. 
And as you read that, you, you, you come across a passage that maybe, ooh, I like that, what that had to say. Now we're at a crossroads of a choice. It's almost like we are at the end, the border of the promised land. Will you go in or won't you? And we have that chore every single day. Will I obey or will I not? And God sits on his throne with his arms wide open and says, come, get your rest. It hasn't ended. It's not going to end, by the way, for it's eternal. And one day we will experience that. But now, a spiritual rest is available for us. Now, even when the children of Israel, they were never guaranteed that if you go in the promised land, there weren't going to be some difficulties. They still had to work. They still had to claim the land for God. There were nations in there that didn't like them. But in the rest they would have found out that God was with them and would protect them and keep them and supply them in such a dynamic way. That life of slavery in Egypt would have been nothing more than a bad dream of the past. Entering God's rest takes the right attitude. Will you or will you not? The third guidepost that our passage back in Hebrews gives to us this morning is this. God's rest takes the right timing. Verses 7 and 8. God's rest takes the right timing. Did you catch the word? It's only one word. The word is... Today. Today. It's been repeated for us in chapter 3 and now again even in chapter 4. Today, if you will not harden your hearts. Today, you may enter his rest. Takes the right timing. When we hear the voice of God and we, and we have a choice... Are we going to follow in belief or are we going to harden our heart in unbelief? There is a constant, ongoing, every moment decision. Not at one time event. Not a future one. It is today. The people of Israel failed to enter God's physical rest in the promised land because of their lack of faith. But you'll notice it even says in verse 8, for if Joshua had given them rest, then why did God say there would be a future rest? Just as the ancient Hebrews could have stepped into the promised land and taken full possession at any time through their faith, 
so Christians can find rest for their souls in the Lord Jesus Christ, even today. The invitation still stands. And Jesus says, come unto me. But that takes us to the last two verses of our text this morning. For it says, the same kind of rest God entered into after his work of creation remains for us. It is still available. All we need to do is enter it. I've come to realize that there are two things in life that keep us from entering into rest. The first one is this, panic. We panic. Panic says this, you're not going to make it. You're not going to make it. We begin to see our problems as so big that we begin to think that not even God can take care of it. We begin to panic. But think about it. If God can take the formless and void world of Genesis chapter 1 and fill it in six days... And he can make order out of your chaos in a matter of six seconds. Someone once sent me a, an interesting statement that if God can put a light on the end of a bug, what is it that he cannot do? Panic. We allow life situations to draw our attention away from God and focus on the immensity that God can take care of just like that. We panic. The second one is pride. Pride says you can handle your problems on your own. Oh, really? How's that working out for you? There are problems we do need to handle on our own. For instance, for the game this afternoon, do we get meat lovers, pizza, or cheese? In my opinion, it doesn't matter. I don't have a horse in this race. I thought that would bring up a little bit different, but I guess that's okay. When pride shows up, it convinces us that we can actually do more than what God can do. Pride. We even come to that place where we say, I don't need his rest. Pride. But the end of pride is destruction. We know that in case you're looking for a passage to turn to, just peruse Isaiah chapter 14 a little bit this afternoon. That's where the evil of the world 
was created. I will be like the Most High. Lucifer mouthed those words. Instead of succumbing to the specter of pride, we need to release it and enter into God's rest. To enter God's rest today, make a decision to, repeat, to replace panic and pride with peace. Sometime today, maybe even here this morning, before we're dismissed, offer, if you will, up your fears, your worries, your pains and problems to God in prayer. He'll make good on his promise and he'll replace fretting with rest. In fact, then stand in that rest. Resist the temptation to go back as these children of Israel were thinking that they needed to do. Don't succumb to that temptation. Resist it in the name of Jesus Christ. Meet each morning with a new resolve to enter his rest. God is calling out to our souls this morning, simply saying, come, get your rest. Can we pray? Kind and loving Heavenly Father, your arms are still wide open. The doors of glory are still wide open and available for any who would come and say, I need to rest. You invite us when you said, come, take my rest, come unto me. And it is there that we learn of you. It is there that we understand that your burden is not heavy, it's light. It is there whereby we find a spiritual rest that carries us through the darkest days of what we face each and every week. So I pray, O oh God, and ask that by the power of your spirit through the working of your word that you would remind us to forsake panic and certainly forsake pride and act in faith believing that that which you have promised us of your rest will be evident as we rest in you and we'll praise you in the mighty name of Christ our Savior. Amen.